Well, I want to join with uh, Emily and, and welcoming everyone, thanking you for being here and sharing in this time, thanking Emily and the whole praise team for just leading us uh, in, in our worship this morning so beautifully, and for uh, just the flow of the, of the songs that we've, we've shared together this morning that go so well with, with what we're going to be uh, looking at in our, in our study together this morning. Uh, if you don't have a, um, a, a copy of the notes for the, the message, uh, they are available back in the back. I hope they are, and if you raise your hand, someone can, can uh, bring them uh, to you. And uh, I hope you'll have that. It has the scripture uh, that you just uh, uh, heard so beautifully read for us, and also the notes that I'm going to be following as, I, as we go along. Ah... Got news this morning that Kyle has actually reached Denver. I'm getting something of an echo here. He's made it. Uh, you can actually go uh, on YouTube and see the worship service from the Littleton Church of Christ in Denver if you would like to later. And um, and I, I think, I don't know exactly what they're going to do, obviously, but, but I think they're going to introduce his uh, presence uh, there today and so forth. We've managed to hang on to Alexandra for another day or two, and she's here uh, with us, and, uh, but she's going to be flying out with, with Violet and Rowan tomorrow and uh, headed to, to Denver, and we, we're going to be missing uh, them so much, but at the same time, I'm just uh, sure that it's going to be a, a wonderful experience for them and, and all of that. Uh, let, me, let me just... just for whatever it's worth, just add, if you can possibly come and share in the uh, celebration of Martin Luther King Day on Monday, uh, do that. Uh, the more you can get acquainted with the community of hope and see the possibilities of it and see the possibilities of participation, it, uh, it, the better for each one of us. It will minister to each one of us uh, very definitely as we uh, participate in that. And so come, learn it more and more. It's a, there are lots and lots of people who come to it, lots of volunteers too. So, so you sort of join in with the other volunteers. But you need to let, let uh, Carl know so, because there are volunteers and all of that has to be coordinated. So give, a, give him a text message or a, uh, a call or whatever uh, for, for that. Also, I want to mention that we are starting up this week a, a new um, online discussion group, or at least a continuation and a renewal of our Tuesday evening um, online discussion group. We've had it focused on, um, uh, on exploring our faith for the last uh, quite a few weeks now, and it's going to now be take be, continue sort of the same kind of thing, but take as a kind of uh, overarching structure the book that was written by Eugene Peterson called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, Conversations in Spiritual Theology. And, but that will be kind of the, the groundwork underneath it, but it will be open for discussion whether you've been able to read readings for the week or not. Just come and to join in the, in, uh, in the group. And if you get, get there and you find yourself confronted with the, the need for a, for a password, there, it is given on the on the website, but it's just MCOC. It's not really very secretive. Uh, so, so just put that in and and come in and join with with us in that time. As as Emily indicated, we are beginning or sort of 
you know, beginning, uh, beginning a new series this morning called Meeting God in Everyday Life, as you'll see at the top of the, the, the notes there. Uh, the title of the message for today is Knowing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and the, it, I tried to lead into that last week with, our, with the message focused on, on Luke the 12th chapter, the parts of Luke the 12th chapter that go right with, with what has been our traditional um, topic for, uh, for the first Sunday of the, of the year. And, but this, this Sunday, I want to go forward with that into this idea of meeting God in everyday life and chose to, for the passage for us this morning, a, a very well-known passage for many of us, namely Matthew 28, 16 through 20, which most of us associate as the, think of as the Great Commission, Jesus commissioning the disciples to go forth into the, into the world, into all the nations and to make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always, <clears throat> even to the end of the age. And uh, you, you heard, um, read the, the slightly different translation that, that you have on your note sheet that's um, from myself, but it's a, the passage that we are starting with is, at least I, what I want to, to, for us to see is it comes right at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, of course, and it comes at the end of all the teaching of Jesus and so forth in the Gospel after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, so that the complete sort of story of Jesus' ministry has, has come to, uh, com to fulfillment. And now Jesus stands with the disciples on this mountain that we don't know exactly which one it was, but in Galilee, where he had been with his disciples before. And he speaks to them. They are approaching Jesus, and Jesus is approaching them. And it says, Matthew says to us that they were, they worshipped him when they saw him. But some had doubts. Uh, how could they have doubts? This is after the resurrection. But they're human beings. That's what that means. And that's the way it is with almost everybody at some time in their life. There's, there are struggles that we have of knowing what all of this is about. And how is it that we know God? How do we think about God? What is it that we're supposed to know? And, and how, how do we follow that and know about it in especially our daily lives? Because we usually think of our daily lives as, well, daily, you know? I mean, it's... You know, you get up and you go to work and you work all day and you come home and you have dinner or some variation, lots of different variations of all that. And then you go to bed and you get up and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. Uh, they have a vacation, a good vacation here and there and so forth. But when we get into the cycle of life that comes to be everyday life with some television and some, depending on who you are, some video games or some this or some that or certainly some social networking and all, all of those things. People back then also just had very rigorous daily lives. You know, these are the people that Jesus talks to. The disciples had grown, you know, they had been trained as fishermen and a lot of other things like that. And daily life was, was could be a grind uh, until Jesus had come and plucked them out and they'd started following him and, and, and so forth. And, and Jesus, as we listen to his teachings, like we did last week, and as we have been doing, going through the Gospel of Luke, 
teaches us how to live. Remember, it's not about not being anxious for your life and, 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 and for, for your body, not, not being anxious for your life, what you're going to drink, what, for your body, what you're going to put on, you know, and all of those wonderful teachings. And go back to the Sermon on the Mount and, that we so often do and think, think about the things that Jesus says, very much uh, how we live. And, and the tendency for us is to think of it as kind of instructions that give us the right things to do along the way. You know, if you get, get it really down to it, there's some, some rules for life of how to go about doing it. And Jesus is very vivid in the way that he, that he teaches. But what I want to suggest to you, to actually urge you to think about, and it's something I know that you have thought about before, and it's even embodied in several of the songs that we have, that what Jesus is teaching is more than being sort of the rules for life and good advice for how to do things and how to live, is he wants us to see something. He wants us to see the reality of the world, the reality of existence, the reality of life. And he wants how we live and those things that he says about how we live day by day in everyday life to be not so much the following of a set of rules that you could codify, but a response to that reality, an awareness that we're living in that reality. We live in a reality, as the, you know, the old phrase is from years and years ago, of the rat race going round and round and round and round and round. But it, of course, takes different forms nowadays. But if you think of your life in that way, you're going to live in a certain way. What is the reality of your life, of my life? How are we living? And, and of course, for Jesus, it is seeing that, that God who is there, who is there in everyday life. Everyday life for Jesus, as I hope we saw last time listening to those teachings of Jesus, is not something that's over against in contrast with spiritual life. Rather, everyday life and spiritual life, religious life and work life and family life and social interactions and political life and every other part of our lives are all a unity, all part of the, the same thing. It's the life if it's the everyday life that Jesus is talking about, that Jesus is trying to show us. It's that everyday life that knows that everything that we experience, from those ravens and lilies that he talked about, you remember, to our most disturbing anxieties that he warned us about and our fears, to our highest aspirations, religious aspirations, seeking the kingdom of God and, and so forth. It's knowing that all of those are always within the active and creative presence of God, within the love of God. They are part of that. And to see that, to know it, to experience it, and to live in that, that world. And we started talking some about this last week because 
As you'll see on the front side of your sheet there, we have Ephesians, the third chapter, 14 through 19, which we looked at to some extent last week, and we're going to bring, bring it up again this, this week. But it's that understanding that we live in the presence of God, in the, the very being of God. As Paul said, you remember in, in, the, in the 17th chapter of Acts when he was speaking on, on the Areopagus in Athens, in him we live and move and have our being. When we take that everyday life to mean just the stuff that's sort of around us, we distort it. We distort our, it, we distort our lives when our sense of the everyday gets cramped, as it often does for people. And God gets pushed into a particular segment. Here we are, gathered together in that segment of life known as religion. And we all come together and we give a few, an hour and a half, a little longer, a little more, a little more, to God. And everyday life is out there. Religion is pushed into as a portion of life that's special and limited. I think truly for Jesus, there's no such thing as religion. Religion is just simply reality. What we would call religion is just simply reality. It's the presence of God in everything and everywhere we are. And Jesus wants to elevate our senses, our sense of every day, and our sense of ourselves so that we can come to know that unified reality of God. So Jesus is, as I said, Jesus is not teaching us how to live by a set of ethical rules, but by helping us to see the deep reality. And this is, a, the, I use a lot of times the term reality as a translation for what in the Greek is the Greek word aletheia, and usually gets translated as truth. For us, a lot of times, though, the word truth tends to be identified with doctrinal truth or truth of this belief or that belief. But for Jesus, it's how things truly are. The whole thing of God's, of who God is and how we come to meet God in that wholeness, in that wholeness of reality. So Jesus teaches us how to live not by that set of ethical rules, but by seeing the reality, the beauty the wholeness of God in, in God who is that truth. And then calling on us to live in accordance with that truth. That, that means, um, yeah, it's, there's a, a real learning curve in that to learn God and all of that. And it's going to shape us, but it's not by giving us a set of rules. It is by knowing that God is everywhere in all that we do and to sense that presence and to live in accord with that great truth, that great reality. We've said it many times, you've thought it many times, I'm sure, that we, we want to compress our reality to things that we can handle, things that we control. That's where our worries come from and our fears come from. We, it includes even our, even our gods, Amen. the little gods that we have, even our understanding of the God often gets pressed down to a personal assistant who helps us uh, along the way. And we, in that process, get smaller and smaller and smaller. So Jesus challenges us, challenges us 
beyond our own instincts to kind of keep things under control and to be very careful and watchful and to worry about them and to be fearful about to see something that's outside of our own vision of the possible to see and to to see God's reality and to live in that reality and Jesus is confident that that is the transforming thing of life he knows well that it's possible to make all kinds of rules about things. I mean, that's part of the basis of so many of his interactions with the Pharisees that we hear about in the, in the Gospels as they have gone in that direction. Jesus was, in a sense, far more rigorous than the Pharisees ever were. He actually can, can say with a straight face, you will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh. But that's because he has a whole different relationship to these things, that you are on a journey with that, with that God. And that God is helping you along the way. And so look at that passage. You have it on your sheet, or you can open the one of the Bibles that's there in front of you in the, in the, uh, in the pew, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And here, as he's facing these disciples who are very much ordinary people, just like us. Yes, they've, they've seen Jesus, they've come to know him, they've followed him. But as we've emphasized so many times in our study in the gospel, look, they do not yet understand him. They, they have him within frameworks of meaning that they, that they understand and that have been part of their lives. But it is not exactly where Jesus is going in so many different ways. But here, as they come to this spot, they are ready to leap into a new stage. Now that they have been confronted with Jesus' crucifixion, which in every pattern that they have ever thought would contradict their whole idea of Jesus being the anointed king of God. And then they've been confronted with Jesus' resurrection that tells them that the world is radically different from what they had known. They have come now to see Jesus on this mountain and some are struggling with it still and some are ready to fall at his feet and worship him as their, their God. But here in this, as Jesus confronts them, it is <clears throat> it's remarkable what he says. They, it's, Jesus says, this is the person that they, you know, just, just a few days ago they ate dinner with him. And he sat across the table from him. And Jesus says, all authority was given to me, both in God's realm, in the heavens, and on the earth. Yes? The person that was there at the Passover with me? Yes. All authority was given to me, both in God's realm and on the earth. Therefore, this is now what I've got for you. Go out and make disciples of all the nations, all the Gentiles. This is a bunch of Jewish guys here, probably with in the background other disciples standing with them that had gone there together with them. Go out and make Disciples. Disciples? What is a disciple? A disciple is a, is a learner. 
He doesn't say go and organize forces among all the people. Say, organize an army to take the world. He, he, he doesn't say go out and take over the governments of these places or do this or that or the other. Make learners because that's the fundamental journey of learning this reality of God, learning who God is and what God is doing. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them is the usual translation. I've translated it also plunging them, which just gives it a little bit less religious frame, though it's clearly it's you know taking them and putting them down in water. But what do you baptize them into here? It's not baptizing them, it's plunging them into water. It's plunging them into the name or the identity. What does it mean to plunge somebody into the name? Uh, hmm. You say the name? Yes, okay. But is that the same as plunging them into the name? Plunging them into the identity, into who the Father is and who the Son is and who the Holy Spirit is. And then why are there three there anyway? Everybody knows, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus quotes it. But here when he comes to this, they are to be plunged into God. Into God. Into the name of the Father, which is not really a name. But stands, I suppose, for all of those names of God that we have learned in the scriptures. But also, just right with that, the Son, and they surely recognize that as Jesus speaking about himself here. And how could he put himself right there? And, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, right? Exactly how is that? to be part of three there. We can't go this morning into all the ins and outs of trying to understand that. In fact, I don't think it's possible to define, but, but define it too, uh, too well, though certainly a great deal of writing and, and effort has been given to it, and there's a lot that one can, can learn about all of that. But baptizing them, plunging them into the identity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And just think, what, what do you think they make of that? As Jesus says this to them, plunging them in water, they know about baptism like, like John the Baptist, but John the Baptist didn't plunge them into the sun. He didn't plunge them into the Holy Spirit. He talked about one coming after them that would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And is that what we're talking about here? How exactly is, does all of this work? But that's what it is. It's something in which they are going to be linked with the identity, with the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them, teaching them. Hmm, teaching them to do what? Well, as it's, I, you know me, as, as it's regularly translated, it's teaching them to observe or to obey everything that I've commanded you. Now, it sounds like if you follow that kind of understanding, it sounds like that's, you know, get, get the set of rules and, and let's go and let's see if we can master this set of rules and so forth. 
But actually, when the, the everything that I've commanded you or everything that I've instructed you in, all of those, you read back and you read it as like what we were studying last week, you realize that it's such a challenge to hold on to those things to really take hold of them and, and keep them clearly in mind and to deal with them as they come into our lives. And so instead of translating the word tereo in, in Greek as obey or observe, it literally means to hold, to take hold of. And so that's the way I've translated to hold on to everything that I've instructed you. Hold on to it like it was something alive that's trying to always trying to get away from you, always trying for you. you're always being pushed to, to not understand it or not follow it or not go into it, hang on to it, to everything that I've instructed you. And look, I myself am with you through every day, all the days, to the consummation of the age. <clears throat> Does that mean that our ministry here in Galilee is going to go on and we're just going to keep on teaching and walking around? What does it mean he's going to be with us through every day to the consummation of the age? And so it, in, in this, Matthew, it's the ending of his gospel, gives us this mysterious, powerful, beautiful image of who and what it is that, that's, that's taking, taking place. We are taking this plunge of participation in God. And so we, we, we're brought into that relationship with God that involves God as Father, God as Son, God as Holy Spirit, one God. Jesus emphatically taught that there is only one God. But now we think of God and we look at God in, in these different frames that we have known him, the name... <clears throat> the frame of our whole understanding before Jesus came and now the breaking in of Jesus and all that he said and did and now the Holy Spirit as he has manifested it in his own life and as he is promising to, to give it to us. So they learn this reality. That's what, in a sense, I think that's what the plunging is, that you're plunged into this. If you just have it as a set of things that you need to do, it's always external to you. But what Jesus is saying is that, no, God first takes you inside God's own self or comes inside of you, we can put it either way, and you become part of God's life. You become part of a community, a unity, so that you're learning this reality from the inside. And we hold on to Jesus' instructions as we live into those instructions. There's just so many of them <clears throat> as one goes into the Sermon on the Mount, or just so many places where Jesus gives teachings that are challenging, and sometimes deeply intentionally challenging to people. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. You follow me. What, what, am, I, whoo, what am I supposed to make of that? And on and on. But we are taken into the life of God, and it's there that we hang on to the instructions and live into them so that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are with us every day. Jesus, I, the I is I, God.
I, God, I, the Son, I, the Father, I, the Spirit, is with us every day that we, we live. In the history of Christianity, so much emphasis has been placed on guilt and the threat of punishment that we often miss the heart of Jesus' vision and the, of Jesus' invitation. Oh, yes, sin is a huge, huge problem. We all struggle with it. It's all there. It's all, it has its destructive power in every one of our, of our lives, and it distorts our lives as we, as we deal with it, and it has its effects on us. It makes us little. It makes us petty. It cuts us off from the reality of God. But, but God, in Jesus, the very nature of God welcomes us into a new vision of who we are, of ourselves and our limitations. Whereas sin mm, breaks us, distorts us, cramps us, pushes us down so that we live in a little world of our own messes. Jesus is opening them up. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of creation, you plunged into it, holding on to my guidance as I lead you to Know what it means to live within all of that. Look also on your, your sheet there, and you'll see the, the passage from John, the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, verses 15 through 23. <clears throat> now, this was before Jesus was crucified. That's the night before he was crucified in John 14. And you'll notice, them, even though it's written by a different gospel writer, it's not Matthew, it's rather written by John, and there's differences of style and everything and all kinds of that between the two of them. Still, you'll hear within this so many things that are similar and parallel, but, but expressed in a, in a different way as Jesus talks to the, to the disciples. If you look at the, the passage on your sheet or open your Bible to it, listen, if you love me, Jesus says, You'll hold on to my instructions, that same idea that we were just talking about. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helping advocate. I don't know how to translate this. There's not any one good word that really does. It's the word parakletos, or paraclete, as it's often done. An advocate, a comforter. Uh, that that is the uh, the Holy Spirit. So as he points out here, so I over translated and made it the, a help another helping advocate to be with you always. The Spirit of Aletheia, the Spirit of reality, the Spirit of true reality. That that Spirit is going to be there as the very presence of this larger reality of God that you little be beings are in. And God is going to allow you to share in that. Just like he was plunged into the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here he's, you're going to, he's going to be with you always. This spirit of true reality. The world can't receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. And the world, as he's talking about the world here, lives in that cramped space of just us and the stuff we do and the stuff we can control. But you're coming to know him. Because he is remaining with you. Indeed, he'll be in you. I'm not going to leave you alone like orphans. 
And it should say, the Holy Spirit will come to you, right? But it doesn't. It says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. So the Holy Spirit, this this spirit of truth, this new helping advocate is also the coming of Jesus into us. Before long, Jesus says, verse 19, the world won't see me anymore, but you'll see me. Because I'm alive, you'll also be alive. Your life, every one of your lives is a little presence of Jesus here. Because I'm alive, you'll also be alive. On that day, I don't know how Jesus could say this sentence, but it's, well, I do know how. I think I do, but, but, you know, it's when I think of the time and think of the situation and the disciples sitting across the table from him and all of that and the mess that they were in as they tried to understand what was going on and all of that and the betrayer who's just gone out of the group and, and so, so on. On that day, you'll really know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. I'm in my Father, you're in me, I'm in you. Now is that where you live on Monday morning when you get up and are headed to work. God is there. God is there. Jesus is in the Father. Jesus is in us. We're in him. You're living in that whole reality. That includes all the stuff of the world, all the good stuff, the bad stuff, everything of, the, of our world. God is present, pervasive, but also goes beyond our imagination and all of that. And I, you, are actually already there. Now that's a way to live. That, that changes the way that one goes at living one's ethics, politics relationships, all sorts of things that we do. It's, a, it's not a rules thing. It's a, an identity, the identity of God, the presence of God's Holy Spirit in us. I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. You're going to be coming to know that as it goes along. Those who have my instructions and hold on to them, that same idea, that these these instructions are something that you've got to really hang on and hold on to them are those who love me now people who love me will be loved by my father I'll also love them and show myself to them so this is just sort of plunging in plunging into this reality then Judas not Iscariot because Judas Iscariot has already scampered away to do his, his deed Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, how is it that you're going to show yourself to us and not to the world? Show yourself, that means we're going to be able to see, right? I mean, that, that's what that's got to mean, doesn't it? Well, mm-hmm. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, 
They're going to hold on to my message. My Father will love them, and we'll come to them and make our home with them. Where does God live? Where does God live? In heaven? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. He's sitting there in that pew. He's everywhere. He's on the top of Mount Everest at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. He's everywhere. He's in the farthest galaxy. He's in the smallest subatomic particle. But he's living, dwelling in you and us. And for us to see that reality, to live in that reality, Jesus has to push it again and again. And Paul has to do the same to help us to, to see these things. God's going to give this advocate. He's going to be with you. Jesus is coming to you. You share in my life, Jesus says. And all of it is woven together in love. We love God as God, as the creator of life, as the center of that reality and truth. And Jesus is the very face of God. He defines God's nature. He gives us those instructions that we hang on to for dear life. We hold on to that love that is the heart of that message. And is the, it becomes the transforming adventure of, of our lives, of our free devotion to him. We just have to find out where, what it's going to do in our lives as it transforms us, as we go forward with it. And that is where our ethics, our rules, all the things that we have to do to love God as he has loved us, to love our enemies as God loves every single person. Father, Jesus, Spirit, all make their dwelling in disciples. That is true life. That is where you meet God in everyday life. That's the reality of everyday life. Every time you get up in the morning or go to bed at night, that is what's going on. But then to come back to that passage very briefly that we looked at last, last time in Ephesians. I just love this passage. Many of you all love it too, I'm sure, and are, are very well uh, acquainted with it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a prayer that Paul is praying for the believers, as we talked about last time. Um, but just notice how it echoes all that Jesus has said. It, Paul is one who now has taken all of this in and now is trying to help us, because we're those believers out there down through the ages that he's, that he's writing to. He's been talking about how this what Jesus has done is given us confident access to God. And so now he says, because of all of this, because of what God has done in Jesus, I'm bowing my knees to the Father, before whom every family in God's realm and on earth it has its identity, has its name. We're named after God's name. God's identity becomes our identity because there is this unity of all that, that exists. So he says, this is in chapter 3, verse 16 there in your, in your text. I'm praying that in accord with the unique riches that belong to the Father's glorious reality, the Father's glory, which in Hebrew has that idea of substance to it, the Father's substance, the Father's glory. 
he may give you the gift to be made strong. Jesus opens the door to that eternal universal God to give us access, so to speak. But that world, the world of God, is, includes all of our world, but so much more. It is powerful, and it takes strength to enter it. But it's not a strength that we have to muster up, but rather it is a strength from the interaction of us with the one who is that deep truth, that deep reality from God's spirit within us. And so Paul says, I pray that he may give you the gift to be made strong with a power that comes through his spirit flowing into your inner being. Do you feel that going on in you? Is that happening? The spirit of God working powerfully, renewing, enlivening who you are. Nothing can stop you. You don't have to have anxiety about anything or fear. You can live boldly because you have the power, the strength of God's spirit in your inner being. That, Paul says in verse 17, that's in order that the, the, the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed king, may make his home in your hearts. That's what Jesus had talked about. He's going to be there. He is there. He's right here dwelling in this, this space. And that's through your interactions. It's not something that's been imposed on you, dropped on you, like a bomb or something that blows you apart and, and takes over. No, it's through your response, your faith, faith on your side of responding, trusting, in the faith that he has had, his faithfulness in keeping his promises and, and uniting the world through this. And then he uses those two images that we talked about last time of the roots and the foundation. Your roots are going down into his love, and your life, his root, is founded on his his love. And so Paul wants them to, to realize that, to think of themselves in that drawing their life from that love of God that's manifested in the anointed king as he's given himself for us, his faithfulness and every, everything. So that this, the outcome, verse 18, I'm praying that you, along with all of God's people, that's every single one of us here, may have the power Again, that idea of strength, to understand, to comprehend that love, just how broad it is, how long and high and deep, so that you may know deeply the love that flows from the anointed king, from the Messiah, even though it will always surpass knowledge. The ultimate purpose is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, Paul finally goes over the top, doesn't he? Just a little bit too far. Am I going to be filled with the fullness of God? Is, is Steve out here going to be... Oh, no, 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 no. The fullness of God? Yes, he is. Yes, he is, absolutely. Yes, he is. And even my wife, whenever I'm arguing with her, is already full. <laughs> It changes the way you see the world. It changes the way you see people, the way you see yourself, your own life. It's that pearl of great 
price that Jesus tells us. It's worth selling everything else to get that pearl. We hold on. We hang on to Jesus' extravagant teachings. This can't be true. Hang on. But yes, it is. It's true. It's happening right now, even with our limitations and our difficulties in, in experiencing it. It is true because it is what God is doing, and it is the reality of God. And so we explore, and we learn. We are always learners. We're never masters. We're only learners. We're disciples. And this is how God fills us up with the fullness of God. I just want to have that one more passage, and I can't go into, into talking about it, but just think about it in relationship to the, to the other things we've talked about in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Again, it's Paul talking out of all of that same understanding, and, uh, but with a particular interest in talking about the Spirit. Your life, and he's talking about to, to ordinary people, just ordinary Christians at church like us, happen to be living in Rome that he's writing to, your life isn't determined by the flesh. That's what Jesus was talking about. Don't be anxious for your life, what you're going to uh, for eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on, all these things, you know. Your life isn't determined by the flesh, but is in, is encompassed by spirit. Since in fact, God's spirit is dwelling in you. If someone doesn't have the spirit of the anointed king, crystals, they're not part of him. But if the anointed king, spirit of the anointed king, the anointed king is in you, Yes, this body is dying in its brokenness with sin. But the presence of the Spirit is life itself because of God's faithful righteousness. Now, if the Spirit of the God who raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in you, that one who raised the anointed king from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who is dwelling within you. Ooh. I have to hang on just to try to get my mind even around what's being said, how extravagant it is. I always want to tone it down because it can't be that good. It can't be that powerful. It can't be that wonderful. Can it? Is that where you live? How do I learn to live with that? Well, you hang on to those teachings of Jesus. And it's the adventure of your life to learn that love, to learn that grace, to learn that power that is given to you. That's going into the new year to meet God in everyday life. Because this is the everyday reality in which we, we live. Don't let yourself be small. You're so much bigger than so many of the things that we're told about ourselves. We are the places where God chooses to dwell and to empower. And we get the adventure of the transformation of life. 
And God wants that for every single one of his creatures, everyone beloved by God, as He that love pours out through us into the world. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. <laughs> Those words are just so tiny. And, and they just begin to whisper toward the wonderful things that you have already done for us in Jesus. We pray that we may have that spirit who is reality, who is truth, who is also a great adventure of our lives. We're going into a new year, Heavenly Father. And we pray that you will bless us, that we may come to know you in everyday life. Not just, not just some rules for us to follow, but you. What you have done, what you have promised, who we are and can live into, who we can become. That you will take each of us by the hand and lead us through this vast creation and our particular path through it. And let us know who you are creating us to be. In the name of Jesus, in the name of your Holy Spirit, in your own unmatchable name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand together as we have a benediction for this new year? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, now and forevermore. Amen. 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 Greet one another and go forth to serve.